sit at the table, make sure you are a part of this, and make sure that your ideas and your know-how is heard. Hi, fellow lifelong learners. Welcome back to another episode of The University. As you know, we started this podcast to give curious minds like yourself a place where you can listen to other people's experiences, learn about their ideas, and in the process, hopefully pick up tangible and actionable takeaways. Today, I speak to an absolute power woman. She's an industrial designer. She's the CEO of SIA an international tech company that makes software products for structural engineering projects. Basically, she runs the company that makes the software used to design our buildings, bridges, sports stadiums, and so forth. Our guest is no one other than Hilda Savens. And again, I hope you take notes today as she teaches us how to construct a life worth living. Hi Hilda, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because we've spoken a couple of times already and each time you left a great impression on me, so I'm uh, really looking forward to sharing your knowledge with, with all the people listening today. As you know, we always start our episode with the following question. How would you describe yourself as a human being without mentioning what you do as a profession? Well, thank you, Aristide. I'm happy to be here too. How would I describe myself? I think uh, first and foremost, a passionate person very driven, a mother of two boys, and uh, of course, also a wife. I, uh, I'm also a daughter. Huh? I have some issues with my father right now, so a daughter is an, a prominent element today. And um, I like to think of myself as an artist and a musician. I'm also somebody who uh, wants to prove herself okay. to myself mostly, mm. and sometimes to others, which I think... Uh, a lot of people have. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess uh, one of the other things that I would say is that I'm somebody with a lot of interests. Okay. So when I say I like to think of myself as an artist and a musician, I'm not one thing. You know, I, uh, I've done drawing and painting and different musical instruments, different things with music, but I've also done dancing. And, you know, I'm kind of like somebody who likes to explore everything, but doesn't really necessarily go into mm. the depth of it yeah. and make myself you know, highly skilled, very experienced in that, in one particular field. Yeah, I yeah. like to taste of yeah. all of these things. Yeah, a person with many interests. Yes, I'm yeah. a curious person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love that. Um, you, you mentioned that you love to prove yourself to yourself, which I thought was particularly interesting because usually people want to prove themselves to other people. But where do you think that uh, comes from, in your opinion, that need to prove yourself to yourself? Well, when I, uh, I've thought about that before, huh? because this is something that has, you know, when you do some self-exploration, these are the things that come to mind. And I think it stems from my youth at the point when, uh, when I wanted to study art. I was 12 years old and my parents told me, no way, you're not going to study art. You're actually going to do something that gives you broad perspective when you come out of high school. Mm -hmm. So they pushed me into math and science. And I was rebellious at that point because I thought, okay, they're not believing in me, apparently. They don't believe that I can be an artist and actually make a living because that was the point they were making. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So then I, um, you know, I rebelled against that, but I took 
math and science. And then in the fourth grade, I actually had a rough year. We had a rough class, meaning a class that was very rebellious. At the end of that year, more than half of that class had to you know, sit another year through the fourth grade. (laughs) So um, that's how bad the class was. And I was one of them. So I ended up actually having to double that year. And that gave me a huge, you know, impact on my, uh, my self image, and what I could or could not do. And therefore, I think I think that's where it stems from. And then when I came out of high school, I wanted to study industrial design. Mm -hmm. And uh, industrial design was looked at as pretty tough degree five years uh, combination of technology and creativity my parents were very happy with that choice because they thought okay we didn't kill the artsy side <laughs> of hilda <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she actually wants to explore her creativity further yeah. so they were very happy but my environment was all there's no way she can do that uh, she flunked in fourth grade on yeah. math yeah. this is math science you know what what else so everybody was basically saying that there was no way I could do it, and they were advising my parents to not even let me try. But my parents went like, no way, she can try. Yeah. That's the least we should do. Huh? We said no when she was 12, now we're going to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> so therefore, they let me try, yeah. and, uh, and I actually passed through the five years. I actually ended uh, my education with pretty good results. So um, that was a great, you know... Um, personal achievement oh, that's that's awesome and when did you when did you know when did you decide that you wanted to do uh, you wanted to become an industrial engine uh, designer i'm just very interested in art in architecture in the form but also how something works mm-hmm. the combination of the two there's more to an object than the than its form there is how it operates how it works you know when you look at an iron Yeah, there's the form, but how does that iron plate actually warm up? And how do you make sure that it's safe? And how do you hold the handle and, you know, ergonomically make it right? Very interesting to me. (laughs) And industrial design combines that, huh? Industrial design actually goes to that point. It looks at the outside, but the outside is basically a representation of what's in the inside. So if the inside is beautiful, then your outside will most likely be beautiful. And isn't that the same with people too? Yeah. Very true. true. (laughs) So that's, I guess, what what interested me. Industrial design is very fascinating, and I'm I'm glad you found a way to still um, express your creative side. When preparing for this conversation, I did some research online and found a very interesting article that you wrote about Amazon's virtual assistant, Alexa. I I read the article and I thought it was really good and thought-provoking. Tell us a bit more about that. Well, the article was about why is it Alexa and not Alex? And you look at all these personal assistants by coincidence. I don't believe that, but, you know, they're all female. And so what that tells me is that when you look at the female role in society, it is a serving role, very different from the male role. And it's all around us. It's how we're raised. Um, Even when you try to not raise your children that way, you raise them that way anyway, because everything around you is like that. Now, if you have a personal assistant in your house and it's a female and it basically answers all your questions, never gets angry at you, you can curse, do whatever you want, but they're always very nice. Mm -hmm. That is not the role model that I think we should set for women. And if they're all female, well, what does that tell everybody around? The female and the male basically sends the wrong message. For instance, did you know that the um, airbags in cars uh, 
kill or killed, I think it's solved now, but killed a lot more women than it did men because they never considered a woman behind the wheel when they designed it. How crazy is that? And there's a lot of things like that. They're designed for men, not for women. Women are just not taken into account when they're thinking about it. And particularly not when it is a typical male thing to do. Like, you know, it's a cliche. The man is driving, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Looking back on your extensive career, which um, spans over more than 25 years now, how do you see the evolution of the position of women in the workplace? I think it's a mixed bag. I see good things and I see bad things. I know that uh, the trend is not going in the right direction when it comes to uh, females at a C-level position. I'm not sure why that is because there's a lot of push for it. And I sometimes think that, or I should say ponder over the fact that is what we should be doing focusing on women and putting women organizations together and women events and women initiatives? Or should we focus on getting the normal initiatives or the, you know, the general initiatives inclusive of women? And I feel like the more we have female initiatives, which are all with the right intentions, aren't we then further separating from where we should be, which is in the general, you know, place? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, it um, does make sense. The The question is whether having all these separate initiatives for women is necessary and productive, or if we should focus more on having women included in every single initiative, regardless of the topic. I think the same question can be asked when it comes to, for instance, minorities. So yes, it uh, it does make sense. Last time we talked, we had a very interesting conversation about women and careers. You, um, you told me that you feel that women sometimes hold back on their ambitions. Why is that? Well, I've seen women not apply for opportunities just because they feel like it's not the right time in their life or they're planning to have a child or they're not certain they can do it, right? Uh, it's like when you, when you put a job description together to post on, let's say, LinkedIn. If you want to attract women, you better think about that while you write it. Because if you have, let's say, 10 requirements, uh, men, and I'm not, I can't generalize because it's not true for everyone, but let's say the majority (laughs) is probably looking at those 10 requirements and thinking, huh, I have five or six requirements, Uh, the other four or five, I'll I'll learn that on the job. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try, right? But a woman will look at that and go like, oh my God, I only have nine. I'm not going to apply. Clearly, I'm not, you know, applicable for this job. I don't have the chops or the experience to do it. And that's a huge difference. And that holds us back. And why do you think that is? I think it's a variety of reasons, right? There's this society that projects the image that a woman needs to have a a family and take care of that family first and foremost. Um, And then there's the the women who are inherently trying to take care of things. So when they when they think about having children, they immediately start thinking, what does that do for my career? You know, does that mean I should scale back my career? Because, you know, it's going to be difficult. I highly doubt that a man thinks that way, even yeah. though they, they just as well want to have children, mm-hmm. right? But the woman will already start thinking of how am I going to organize this? Am I going to do it perfectly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's this whole perfectionist and uh, idea that uh, that we, we need to do it perfectly. We need to be doing all these different roles in, in, in the right way. And we can't be 
lacking or slacking in one or another. So then when a woman decides, okay, well, I can't do it perfectly, so then I may as well not try. And that's where we go wrong, I think. It's also the the idea that I don't have all these 10 requirements and therefore I'm not going to try. And we should. It's like my mom says, you always have no, but you can get yes. She's very right. (laughs) She's very right. (laughs) You told me about a very interesting video last time, the TED Talk of Paula Stone Williams. For the people who haven't seen it, we're going to share it online. Um, Paula Stone Williams is a transgender woman, and uh, before she transgendered, she was a successful white male CEO. And during this talk, she speaks of the huge difference between how she was treated as a white male and how she is treated now as a woman. I think the point that you're making really hits home when watching that video. There's actually two talks, and I think the first is the best one, uh, where she really talks about, oh, I, I, I got so surprised. I mm-hmm. had no clue. Huh? Yeah. Like the example of the, uh, the airplane seat, where she had the right number and the man in the seat didn't have the right number, but he didn't even look at his ticket. Yeah. He just assumed that she, as a woman, would be wrong. And if you get that enough, then you start doubting yourself, right? And then doubt creeps in, and that is poison for yeah. any kind of ambition. What do you feel that we as individuals, and you can answer for both men and women, what do you feel that we can do if you want to achieve better equality? Well, the first step, I think, is awareness. Start with getting yourself the awareness of the fact that there is a difference in treatment. And that goes for men and women, because a lot of women don't realize that they're doing just the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I feel I've, I've uh, gone through the process of having difficulties as a woman give you an example i've uh, i've two times in my career where i stepped to my manager or the manager of my manager saying that i wasn't paid enough because all my male colleagues had more money than i did yet i was doing either the same or even more than they were and in both cases my manager said you're a woman that's the way it is and one of those managers was a woman so then i think okay well something fundamentally wrong with that picture yeah. <laughs> right yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it starts with awareness being aware that uh, that there are differences and then if you're in a leadership position be critical look at your organization am I being diverse enough and I think this goes beyond women versus male mm-hmm. um, I think this this needs to go broader um, full scope diversity Is this team diverse enough? We all know from research that diversity actually will get you better results. So take a critical look at it. When you come into a leadership position and you have a number of people on your team, look at their salaries. See if the women are making an equal salary than your male employees. If that isn't the case, make sure you do something about that. It's those those types of things. And then, of course, in your day-to-day life... um, Try to keep that, keep that mindset of, wait, I need to analyze this. To give you another example, my, my sister-in-law has a very, very good career. And uh, my brother has also a good job and a career. Nothing wrong with that, but not as demanding. So he takes up more in the household. And my mother sometimes gets very frustrated and starts saying that, you know, my sister-in-law travels too much and what about their son And how can that be as a mother? And then I have to remind her that if this were the opposite way and it was my brother traveling and going around and this, that, and the other, she wouldn't have one, 
you know, comment about yeah, that. Yeah, there wouldn't be an issue. Yeah, and my mom is very progressive and very supportive of making sure that women have equality and all of that. Yet she still falls for the trap, right? So we have to work on that awareness. Do you feel that the situation is improving? Yeah, in some cases it is. There's a lot of things going on to create that awareness, which I think is good. And in some cases there isn't. I wrote an email to Voca one time because they sent me this really beautiful book of six managers in um, in Limburg it was. Mm. And uh, it's a very nice bu- book, nothing to say about that, but all six were men. And so I figured if they're all men, then they must have very special jobs and they couldn't find any women. And then I realized that there were marketing managers amongst them and, you know, logistic managers and blah, 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 all of that. And I was pissed off, basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Sorry, <yeah>. my language. <laughs> <No worries. laughs> so I wrote them an email and I said, I think this is a missed opportunity. I, mm-hmm. I kept it very polite. Yeah. Um, but what a missed opportunity, right? Yeah. yeah. And they came back to me and they said they were doing all this work for women and they were setting up women's groups and women's this and that and the other. And that's exactly when I thought, is that what you should, you should be doing? Mm-hmm. Or should you just make sure that there's also women in a copy like that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think it's the latter. I don't care that they set up a million and one women organizations. What I care about is that the, the information I'm getting from them is balanced. Mm-hmm. That's what I care about. Talking about this magazine there's lots of interesting opinions when it comes to this topic of women with great professional ambition right there's a really good book that you actually recommended to me it's a book called lean in and it's written by cheryl sandberg who is the coo of facebook tell us a bit more about that book yes it's a very interesting book i can't say that i per se agree with all the elements of it but she has some really good points she for instance says that As a woman, you need to make sure you sit at the table. And that sounds stupid. Of course you're going to sit at the table, but it isn't. You go into a boardroom and there's a woman there or, you know, an important meeting with all male. The woman, she'll put herself in a back seat. Even if, she, if she's sitting at the table, she's still taking a back seat by not giving her opinion, by not raising her voice in the discussion, but being quiet. That is what you should not do. (laughs) You should actually speak up. And that's one of the elements that she brings to the table. So she says, sit at the table, make sure you are a part of this, and make sure that your ideas and your Mm know-how is heard. And then the other thing that she says is, don't give up on your career before you have real reason to. She was giving this example of a woman who didn't want to go on a career path that she was offered because she decided that some day down the road she wanted to have children. She wasn't. She didn't even have a boyfriend. Huh? <laughs> yeah. But someday she was going to have children, and yeah. so therefore she immediately cut her career off. Don't do that. And by the way, when you get children, what are we talking about here? Nine months of being pregnant, right? Um, okay, the last month is a difficult one to keep on working. I agree. Mm-hmm. Then you have a period of time, let's assume six months, that you need to stay home. Quite frankly, by the time I had to go back to, uh, to the office, I had a hard time separating from my boy, because uh, my first one, because yeah. I was thinking, oh my God, I don't want to be away from him mm-hmm. all day long. And then one week into it, and this doesn't say anything about me loving him, huh? mm-hmm. <laughs> but one week back at the office, I was like, oh my 
God, am I happy that I'm back. <laughs> you know, I'm talking to adults. I yeah. can, you know, express my, yeah. my ideas. And women need that just as well as mm-hmm. men, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, so sure. we're talking about, what, a, a half a year of your time that you really need to be home and that, that that's very important. That doesn't need to make you give up career ambitions, mm-hmm. huh? Yeah. yeah. Now, of course, if you want to do, if you want to stay home, I have just as much respect for that. I couldn't do it. But if you can, that's also wonderful. Huh? I have nothing against that. So that was one of the points, too, that she was saying. And then uh, another one was pick your partner wisely. So I do believe that I'm lucky mm. that I found somebody who is willing to work together on our household and on our kids. Because if you don't have that, it's a struggle yeah. beyond belief, right? And that makes everything harder. And then the guilt feeling comes. And once the guilt feeling comes, I sit down downward spiral so mm-hmm. yeah. yeah you need to you need to make sure that your partner supports you i don't have children yet but it makes total sense to me that when you have a man and a woman who are both ambitious and both want to build their careers that you indeed have to support each other it, it makes total sense to me that the tasks at home need to be divided equally because ultimately when you both come home those things still need to be done right Yes, yes. And and one of the other things that I also think is that you should be open to get help, you know, because if you want to spend enough time on your career, that means that some things you can't do. And then you have to weigh the options, right? Am I going to spend on getting help? Yes, that's going to cost some money. But what is it going to get me from a, you know, a feeling of, you know, satisfaction and, and fulfillment? And so you have to weigh those options carefully it's not just the money it's the time it's the feeling it's you know the ability to do what you like to do so uh, i think you you need to take that into consideration when you really want to go on a career path that you get some help too you've obviously built a great career yourself you're a ceo of an international tech company today you're a wife you're a mother to two boys you're managing to combine everything somehow we've just spoken about Cheryl Sandberg's tips but using your own personal experience which advice would you give to a young woman listening today who's really ambitious who really wants to build a great career like yours but also wants to have children what kind of advice would you give to that young woman I think if you can, if you're not eager to have children right away, let's say you're 24, then I would hold off a little bit so that you can get your career started. Because once you have children, to get your career started is a lot harder. Also, I've thought about my, you know, for myself, often I started with children at a late age. And um, I think that saved me in the sense that I have a lot of ambition. And if I would have had children at 24... I would have had to tuck that ambition to some extent away for a while. And then I would have to, you know, bring it up again after a certain time period. And getting my career off and running would have been much harder. Whereas now, I had my start of my career before I had children. I traveled around the world because I was doing international work and enjoying it to the fullest. But once I had children, I had no interest to, you know, spend weeks on end uh, traveling around the world anymore, huh? I don't mind traveling. I still like traveling, but I don't want to be away from home all the time. Whereas before I did. (laughs) So I think uh, if I wouldn't have had that experience, I may have suffered from the what if syndrome. Mm -hmm. What if I wouldn't have had these children 
so early, would I have, you know, traveled the world, done this, that, or the other? And now I don't have that at all. I feel like, okay, I did all that, and I know what it's like, and I still want to do some of that, but I don't feel bad when I, you know, make the trade-off of staying home because I have a family versus, you know, traveling to somewhere for a long period of time. So it's a difficult one, right? Because I don't mm-hmm. want to say, uh, hold off, don't, don't start on children yet. But I do think that it helps my satisfaction in life that I started later, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Because yeah. I think I would have been, to some extent, a little frustrated if I would have started with children at 24, let's say. And then uh, for those who do want to start that early, I think there's nothing wrong with just pursuing your career just as is. What I would suggest is that you make very clear agreements with yourself and your employer on what time you will spend on your family Mm -hmm. to make you feel that that is sufficient so that you make that time available. Everybody knows that you're going to make that time available and you feel like, okay, I can combine this. Mm -hmm. I do this myself. I actually leave the office at five because I want to have dinner together with my family every night, if I can, if I'm not traveling. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I try my very best and the team knows that at five o'clock, please don't book any meetings because I'll be gone unless you want to talk to me in the car, which is possible. But other than that, you know, I leave at five. And I think making those decisions and agreements with your partner, with your employer, all of that, that helps you keep that balance. I loved what you said about going home at five o'clock so you could have dinner with your family. I think that is a very powerful thing because you're actually deciding and then making it clear to everyone that that is a priority for you. Yes, that's the key. Yeah. So I I was talking to somebody who was who was explaining to me why we couldn't meet up and with all kinds of excuses and I said listen it's not it's not a problem. You're just not making it a priority. Just be honest with me, huh? Yeah. This is not a priority for you. I'm fine with that. But don't come over and, you know, have all kinds of arguments as to why we can't meet because you are busy on this and busy on that. It just means that you can't make this a priority right now. And that is completely fine. Yeah. But be honest with yourself and with me. It's just not a priority. And it's the same with your family. Mm-hmm. Huh? If, you, if you come home every night at 7 and go like to your, to your partner, well, but we had this at the office and that, and, you know, unfortunately, this came in between. Listen, you're not making this thing a priority. That's, it's as simple as that. The place is not going to burn down when you leave on time. It's not going to happen. And if it does, there's something other <laughs> wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. Nobody's going to die if you just go home and mm-hmm. have that quality time. Yeah. The funny thing is my kids don't ex- <laughs> they don't really appreciate the quality <laughs> time right now. Yeah, they will. <laughs> Eventually, hopefully, yeah. 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 <laughs> I think that could be a, an eye-opener for a lot of people because it is for me just the simple fact of looking at it differently. You just make it a priority and you tell people, listen, having dinner with my children, having dinner with my family is my priority. So anything you would like from me, any time you want from me, is going to have to be built around that. One thing that's particularly interesting for me is as someone with uh, such a passion for women's rights, raising two young boys, um, I see that there's a very big opportunity there. What's your approach towards uh, raising two young boys? Well, I try to raise them in such a way that they understand that women have just the same 
opportunities and and should have the same opportunities as boys do huh? and they see their mother being a ceo and mm-hmm. particularly now with corona i'm always home and they walk in when i'm in meetings and such yeah. so they see me work and i think that will shape the view of women for them too right they say that the woman or the the mother actually has the biggest influence on how boys and girls actually see how women operate in the world, mm-hmm. right? So uh, if they have a mother who is a businesswoman, then they'll start seeing that as the norm and they'll take that with them in their lives. So I hope that when they find, when they grow up and they find somebody that has a, an ambition for a career, mm-hmm. that they will be just as open to that person than they are to me today. So I think I'm not really doing something special here. Mm-hmm. I'm just showing them that I'm also a professional. Uh, do you think that you would have, if you had daughters, do you think you would have raised them differently? I think I would have paid a lot more attention to make sure yeah. that they would go and explore STEM education. We do that with the boys, but I think the boys will be handed that anyway, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I would have paid a lot of attention to make sure that their view of the world wouldn't be shaped by teenage magazines who are mm-hmm. portraying a completely unrealistic picture yeah of what, what women or girls should be. I saw this uh, LinkedIn post from a graphical designer, a woman who had changed a teenage magazine from what it was published as, which was this teenage girl that looked like a 20-year-old girl, completely, you know, perfect. <laughs> And er- all the articles were about how to look good, how to wake up looking good, how yeah. to please somebody, this, that, and the other. And she had tweaked it into this magazine cover with a girl who had won a science uh, a contest of some sort. Yeah. And then all these articles around it were related to, you know, what women can do, yeah. huh? just as much as men, right? Yeah. And I thought this is so... Yeah. This is such a good example so of good. how we're constantly being fed the wrong information yeah. and how the women image and the girls image is constantly shaped in the wrong way mm-hmm. by the media, by the publications and all yeah. of that. One thing that you hear people say very often is that parenting is a two-way street, right? What have your children taught you? What have you learned from your children? That when you get upset, you shouldn't stay upset. A child okay. gets upset and like two seconds later, they turn around and not, like nothing ever happened. Mm-hmm. Whereas as an adult, you hold on to that grudge, you know, to that yeah. negative feeling. And we shouldn't do that. We should just let it go. <laughs> That's one thing. Then the other thing is you can't control everything. You cannot. At some point in time, I felt like I was on, you know, in control of everything. Mm-hmm. And then I had a child and the birth process was completely the opposite of what I wanted it to be, which was a shock. (laughs) How could that be? I had planned it so well, (laughs) and yet it was completely different. And that that was the first teaching there, right there, that you you just can't control everything. And with children, it's the same thing. First of all, you cannot make them do certain things, or yes, you can be uh, strict with them or whatever, but what I mean is they're their own personality. And you need to let them be their own personality. Yeah. It shouldn't be a f- reflection of yourself. You can mold them, but that's how far it goes. Huh? Or the fact that everything's relative. You come home from a very hard day at work and your son just embraces you and gives you a big hug and you think to yourself, what am I worried about? My God, yeah. this is what's important. Yeah, 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 <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. 
So to be able to look at things differently. It's like nobody says when they're at the, on their deathbed, I wish I would have worked more. And that realization comes to bear when you have children, mm-hmm. very much so. Yeah. And making sure that you keep that realization alive. Like I, I ask my, um, my children uh, a couple of questions every night before they go to bed. And um, it was actually a friend of mine who, who told me that one. And I thought it's such a good idea to get an insight into their world, right? So I ask, what was the most fun thing that happened to you today? And then I ask, what was the worst? You know, what was really, what sucked? And then I ask, and what are you grateful for? And they do this every day. And now by this time, when I don't ask them or, you know, then they go like, what about the questions? (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, And I think that teaches me too, when I hear what they're grateful for, it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting information because you kind of get a look at what, what matters to them. And what kind of things do they mention? Well, in the beginning, they were like, I guess they were trying to say the right thing. So they would be grateful for nature or that everybody is happy or, you know, or that everybody's healthy or those kind of big things. But now it's more the small things like they'll be grateful for the fact that their brother actually helped them with something or the fact that I gave my son a massage Mm -hmm. because he loves to get massages (laughs) Um, or very little things that they're really grateful for. And then I think, okay, that's, that's nice to know. And that makes me more grateful too. And think about being grateful. And I think that's fundamentally important in life because that makes you happy. I think that's awesome. I think that's, uh, you know, that's something that they will really take with them their whole life. You know, if you, if, if you I learn, maintain it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but just the, the 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 reflex, the mental reflex of being grateful. I think it's something that most of us learn at a pretty late age. So I think it's great that they get to work that gratitude muscle uh, so early in their lives. Yeah, we used to have a gratefulness jaw mm-hmm. jar. Um, and um, I would create it at the beginning of the year. And then throughout the year, we would put notes in it, what we were grateful for and what time, uh, what day it was. Yeah. And then uh, that was a lot of fun, actually, because in, at the end of the year, you would actually open the pot, the, the jar of the whole year, and you would read all those notes. It was very fun. But that kind of slided. Mm-hmm. Um, we are not doing that as much anymore. So yeah. therefore, these gratefulness... Uh, yeah moments in the evening are are important as i've mentioned a few times already you're now the ceo of sia an international tech company which means that you lead a whole bunch of people and um, leadership is one of the topics that i'm really passionate about in our last episode we spoke to pj brady who brought us his perspective on leadership which he calls value-based leadership so i'm curious to know what are your values when it comes to leadership and how do you implement them? Well, one of my key values is um, integrity and trust. I like to start with trust. Uh, whoever I meet, I start with trust. And it's only when you do something that shatters that trust mm-hmm. is when I start distrusting you. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> but that is then, well, a fundamental distrust. So <laughs> that's very hard to... Repair, but I always start with trust, and I think um, honesty, integrity are key things to me. 
I like the idea to just have an honest and an open conversation, regardless of how tough that is. That doesn't mean that it comes easy to do, huh? also not for me, but I think that's the shortest way to a good result, to just be honest and open about things. What you um, said about having those tough conversations reminded me of a book by Brené Brown. It's called Dare to Lead, and it's a fantastic book which I recommend to anyone in a leadership position today or with the ambition to grow into a leadership position. Um, one thing she says in the book is to always choose what is right over what is easy. And I think it's it's like those tough conversations you were talking about uh, just now. Um, she also says that a good leader is kind. And to her, being clear about things to people around you is kindness. When you're unclear, you're actually being unkind. Um, and another thing from the book which was great was her view on trust. And you mentioned that you, you start with trust. She agrees with that. And when it's in the context of leadership, she says you cannot demand trust from other people. It's not something that happens overnight. It's a slow process of adding marbles in a jar every time someone does something to build that trust. And obviously it means that when you break someone's trust, a whole lot of marbles go out. And so I thought that was a very interesting analogy from the book. Now, looking at leadership in general, what's the sign of a good leader for you? Somebody that you can learn from and that makes you feel part of the whole that you can trust, obviously, <laughs> and, um, and that can inspire you in the right way. I think it's a very difficult question because there are so ma many elements to leadership. But I guess a true leader inspires you and makes you want to go with him or her to that place that they're envisioning, right? So I think that's a key element. What do you feel is the most difficult part of being a leader? Well, the true difficult part is... The feeling that you're not really doing a good job <laughs> <laughs> and that yeah. you suck at it. <laughs> um, I think that, that makes it harder. <laughs> But um, yeah, so like to give you an example, when I was just saying this, I was, I was immediately thinking to myself, am I doing that? Am I doing that well, well enough? And then I feel like, no, I'm not. Uh, I could do much better. You know, that kind of, that kind of thinking makes leading difficult because the problem is that people once you at, are at a level like a CEO somehow people look differently at you I sometimes tell people I wasn't born a CEO you know it's a process I'm just a human being that by coincidence ended up here but I wasn't born this way so don't look at me that way <laughs> and I think uh, the fact that people look at you differently the fact that your words become so heavy that everything that you say is, you know, picked apart and looked at, oh, this, the CEO said X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. You know what? The CEO is just a human. And yes, maybe they said something that maybe tomorrow they have a different point of view on. It's possible, yeah. right? Um, and that doesn't make this person a bad person. That just makes it a human. And I think that, that for me is a... Is a, is a difficult one that sometimes some people look at you differently just because you hold that position mm -hmm. when, when in fact everybody has their own part in an organization. Everybody plays an important role. And yeah, the CEO has more responsibility as an overall responsibility, but it's those, you know, everybody that make up the whole. 
And so to look at the CEO kind of like on a pedestal, that's the totally wrong thing to do in my mind. Yeah. And I don't want to be treated that way either. I want to be treated as equal. And, and therefore, I also want to be treated as a human. And sometimes that that is hard because people can be hard on, on you as a, you know, a leader. Just because you're a leader, their expectation is through the roof. An expectation that you know everything, which you obviously don't. Or an expectation that you have all the answers, which you also don't. Those expectations weigh heavy. Do you look up to someone particularly as a, as a leader? Yeah, I look up at uh, Ricardo Semler. He's a Brazilian, a Brazilian manager or leader. Mm -hmm. And um, he took up his father's organization, his father's uh, company. And um, his father was a very autocratic leader. And he took it over and he wanted to have a democratic system and he turned that whole organization it took him years huh? it took him 20 years or so turned it over to a completely democratic organization and he has some very interesting points of view mm -hmm. on how to run an organization and how to lead that i aspire to yeah have i been able to implement all that definitely not huh? yeah. Yeah. Um, do i struggle with those concepts yes of course i do but the whole idea of what he did over all these years, and of course we are only hearing the end result. Huh? It must have been a very um, tough road to get there. But what he's been able to do is pretty phenomenal. And he's actually taken his ideas to education. So his idea is that you need to give ownership and accountability to the team for everything. You know That goes from, from what you're going to do to what you're going to get paid to who is going to manage you everything so it's a it's a complete turnaround of of everything we have typically known and then he took it to a school and he has a really interesting ted talk you should look him up uh, he also has a book and but he took it to a school and uh, he basically made the the kids the ones who could decide mm -hmm. and he said the first week they basically almost killed themselves huh? yeah. because they were quarreling and they were this that and the other and after a couple a week or two They had put a system in place that was much more strict than the adults had done. Mm -hmm. That, you know, rules and regulations <laughs> <laughs> to make it all work. And it came from the kids. So they were adhering to it like there was no tomorrow. There was no teacher saying, you should do this, that, and the other. No, they, they said it to themselves. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. Let's do it. And that kind of idea is awesome. Huh? I think if you could get to the point where... The leadership comes from the bottom up, huh? and uh, yeah. and decision making can do that, and you get accountability from the bottom up, huh? and responsibility. Then I think everybody's happier. Have you ever met him? No, I've never met. Okay, him. I uh, probably never will. I, I actually like that because the people who know me will know that it's something that I'm becoming increasingly passionate about is the idea of having mentors that you've never met. Huh? Um, you know, having people that you admire from afar and you study their lives, you study their ideas, you study their actions, their achievements, and you try to model yourself in a way to them. So the fact that you haven't never met him is, is definitely not a problem in my eyes. But I'm, I'm curious in that aspect, besides what he's, he's done and he's implemented, what have you learned from him? What have you, you know, seen or heard him do that you're now thinking or, or, or doing yourself? Well, he, he has implemented these self-organizing teams that basically take care of things themselves. And um, 
as I said, I aspire to it. We're so far removed from that today. The organization I, uh, I'm in comes from an autocratic system, and you can't jump from an autocratic system to a system like that. That would be disastrous. So you kind of have to do it little step by little step. So I'm trying to keep that in mind when we think about the organization and how the organization should be done. I keep that in mind and I try to implement that. So that's what I do with that knowledge. And once in a while I go and revisit his, his talks and all mm -hmm. of that. But usually I get a little uh, frustrated because I haven't gotten very far. <laughs> <laughs> But you know. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned TED Talks a few times and that's actually one of the things that I've grown to admire as well is that even after you know everything that you've uh, achieved in your career, having a husband, having, having children, you still find time to learn new things. You still stay curious, which is something that I really respect. In previous episodes, we've spoken about habits and routines. So I'm wondering, do you have a personal routine of any kind? And, and if so, what, what is that exactly? Yeah, so I, uh, I try to get up a little earlier than I normally would to do a couple of things, do some stretches, do some writing and do some meditation. And yeah, usually takes a half an hour uh, to do those things. And I started it September, October last year because I felt... Like I needed to do something for myself. And it's, it's tough to do that when you're always surrounded by people, you know, either your children or, or your employees. Or. And so I decided to uh, start getting up a little early. And I know that you are part yeah. of the 5 a.m. club. Exactly, yeah. But I don't, go, uh, I don't get up <laughs> at 5. <laughs> but I do get up a little earlier yeah. and I try to do these things. It gives me um, a sense of quiet. I also try to, um, to learn something new every week and that can be I'm, I have some some things that I use like Blinkist or I watch a TED talk or I listen to a podcast mm -hmm. um, I try to learn something uh, so that I have a feeling at the end of the week okay I, uh, I picked up something again yeah. can no matter how small it is mm -hmm. I actually just started with this thing that a neighbor of me asked to join in on which is um, a 21 weeks abundance meditation oh, from I've, Deepak Chopra. Yeah. Have you done I've it? I've done it. Yes. Done it, yeah. <laughs> well, I just yeah. started on doing that, so. Yeah. <laughs> and are you liking it so far? Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah. it gives you this moment of peace and quiet. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Because yeah, I, I did it, but not so long ago. And I have I have family and friends who are doing it now as well. Right. Uh, we did it with some colleagues at work. Yeah. So <laughs> I, you know, I, I told you I did this, uh, this education program the short education program uh, a couple of weeks ago and i finished that mm -hmm. and right when i finished it i thought okay i have more time and then yeah. <laughs> my neighbor asked yeah. me do you want to do this i go like, sure why not <laughs> that's how it goes <laughs> yeah. yeah that's how it goes yeah, yeah. Uh, i also i also try to keep my creative side uh, a little bit mm -hmm. alive huh? yeah. i take some classes at the academy And uh, my son is taking piano lessons, so I follow along yeah. to uh, teach myself the piano again. So I try to try to do those things too because I think it's important that you have those both elements. It can all yeah. it can't all be, you know, um, one side of your yeah. of your uh, being. Yeah. The other side needs to get stimulated yeah. too. And the meditation is also the other side, huh? mm -hmm. but creativity is too. Yeah. So, yeah. It's crazy because it sounds like a lot, but actually it's just 30 minutes yes, uh, per day, right? It's true that I'm in the so-called uh, 5 a.m. club, but even that, it's not about waking up at 5 a.m. The main purpose of the 5 a.m. club is to take some time for yourself each day. 
It's about starting your day before your day actually starts. And um, it's, it's crazy how many things you can do with repetition, right? It's even if it's just 30 minutes every single day. Yes. Yeah. And 30 minutes is, is indeed nothing, huh? It's like uh, I read this, I can't remember the, the book or anything, but it was uh, about small habits that you can do to change big things in your life. And one of the habits which I liked was when you get up, before you're even up from bed, you tell yourself, this is going to be an awesome day. That doesn't cost you any time. Huh? Exactly. But it makes a difference because you start your day differently. The, the, the biggest mental shift for me was the way uh, it changed the way I saw rest. Because at first I used to see rest as sleeping in, you know, being on my phone all day, being in bed all day. That for me was, was, was resting, being on social media and all this, those type of things. But now I'm really starting to learn that resting is actually quite the opposite. Resting, I see it more as active resting now. Mm -hmm. um, so taking that one hour of those 30 minutes or in the weekend I take more time to you know do the the things that that uh, fuel your passion you mentioned uh, art and you mentioned reading you mentioned blinkist you mentioned uh, those ted talks and listening to podcasts that's actually my uh, rest state now that's what gives me rest do you feel the same or do you have a different way to make sure that you still get the time to rest because your body needs it at the end of the day i think it definitely is the same when it comes to mental rest to give you an example, the art class that I'm taking, it was a very impulsive decision, <laughs> decision of mine. And, and I had a tryout class. And I took the tryout class and it took two hours. And after the two hours, I thought to myself, huh, I had a good time. I didn't think of my work. I didn't think of my family. Mm -hmm. I was busy with nothing else but doing this. Perfect. I'll sign up. That's a, you know, a form of rest. It's letting your brain slow down yeah. for a minute and actually do something different. It's the same with the meditation. I think meditation is really helping me you know, get a point of rest and quietness. Yeah. What, what does the future look like for you? If you look at your own future, what, what do you see? I see somebody who's going to try her very best to be a good mother throughout the teenage years of my sons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I hope that works because they always tell me that uh, small kids, small sorrow or small problems. Yeah. Big, big kids, kids, big, big problems. problems. Yeah. So, yeah, I, that's definitely something that I want to accomplish. <laughs> Get us through those teenage years. Somebody who wants to, um, to make a difference in people's lives. So when I think of work or profession, I have a career now and I feel maybe I can, I can share some of that. One of the reasons why I'm here today is because I'm ready to share. Whereas before I may have not been that ready because I didn't feel like I had much to share. But um, now I'm starting to think maybe I can help some people or help organizations. I, for instance, participate in Ondernemers voor de Klas and that's also a way of, you know, helping. And I think that uh, I would like to have more of that in my future because mm -hmm. it gives me a really good feeling when, uh, when I actually can apply what I learned over my career and 
give people a lift to yeah. start up theirs or you know well you've definitely given us a lift uh, <laughs> with with this conversation so thank you for that thank you for sharing your your experience your fire and your your wisdom with us i've learned a lot and i'm sure that uh, lots of people listening will will feel the same and that they've taken notes like crazy we always like to end with one final question though and that is that if you had the opportunity to give our listeners uh, one tip or one life advice, knowing that everyone will write it down and start implementing it today. What would that tip or life advice be? I would say jump at the opportunity. The key point is a lot of people hold back because they're afraid of all kinds of things. Don't be afraid. If it's not going to kill you, just take the jump off the deep end and try it out. Because, yeah, what's going to happen? You know, my grandmother had a really good saying And I'm going to try and translate it now. But she said that a person suffers the most from the suffering they fear. And it is so true. And when people don't make the jump or don't take the risk, it's because of the suffering they fear. Most of the times there is no suffering to be feared. And yet they hold back because of that. So I don't know how to word this as a yeah. one tip thing. Yeah. But I guess just take the risk, take the chance, go for it. Awesome. Hilda, thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed having you on the show. Thank you for I, having me. I look forward to seeing you again very soon. Hiya, Curious Jules here. Welcome back to another episode where I'll be trying out different theories or hacks and put them into practice and hopefully keep growing into the best version of myself. First of all, I really want to thank you all for tuning in for our previous episode about the five love languages. I am amazed by how many of you actually did the test and started the conversation with your partner. I am so grateful to receive so many great reactions. It really makes my day. Now, do you still want to do the love language test? Get in touch with me via at nevernotlearning on Instagram and we'll send you the quiz. So today I want to talk to you about food. Yes. Food. I am so excited about this episode because for me personally, food is life. Food is and always has been my first love. There is literally nothing better than going for dinner with friends, taking an extra long Sunday morning brunch or just getting yourself a glass of wine and making food with your loved ones. To enjoy food is great, as long as you keep it balanced and healthy, of course. By that, I don't mean go on a crash diet, lose 5 kilos and then gain 6 the week after. What I do mean is that we all should find something that suits us best and that we can maintain for the rest of our lives. I'm not talking about a diet here. I'm talking about having a sustainable and healthy eating habit without having the feeling we restrict ourselves too much. So once again, I put on my Curious Jules glasses and went on a hunt for another experiment. Before we dive into this topic, I do want to stress that I am not a nutritionist, nor am I a diet guru. I really just want to share my experience and I really hope you will do too. After doing some research, I found myself watching a TED talk of Cynthia Thurlow, saying that breakfast isn't the most important meal of the day and that it is more important when you eat than what you eat. I was like, Cynthia girl, what are you talking about? Is this some sort of diet? Cynthia was talking about intermittent fasting. Intermittent what? Intermittent fasting is a concept where you interchange periods of eating and periods of fasting. During the TED talk, Cynthia mentions three major benefits of intermittent fasting. The first and most obvious one, of course, is that you will burn more fat and have more energy because you will eat 20% less food. Secondly, intermittent fasting helps you with mental clarity and helps you focus better because you produce something called ketones, which is basically fuel for your brain. 
And then the third major benefit is that your body in a fasting state starts to automatically rejuvenate your cells, which means that your body is anti-aging. After watching the video, I was so convinced that intermittent fasting was a great experiment to try out, so I found myself some buddies and I tried it out for 30 days. Let me tell you different ways to start with intermittent fasting. Most research I found online told me that the best way of getting all the benefits is when you do a 16-8 time frame. So 16 hours of fasting followed by an 8 hour eating window. Another interesting thing I read online was about the concept of 24 hours fasting, where you once a week or once a month fast for 24 hours straight. Wow. In the end, I just decided to try the 16-8 time frame for 30 days. I would have an 8 hour eating window, so it would be either from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. or 12 p.m. to 8 p.m., depending how hangry I would be that day. I would always start with my breakfast, regardless of time, because I just can't skip my favorite meal. Fast forward to my first day of intermittent fasting. I woke up super excited, but that didn't last long though. After one hour, my thoughts were already, why? Why did I want to do this again? It is 7am and I was already feeling hangry, nauseous and tired. Really, the first few days were quite rough. To be honest, mornings were the most difficult ones because I was so used to making breakfast first thing in the morning like having a yogurt with some fruits and granola on top while sipping coffee. That was just my kind of relaxation moment really. So yeah, changing that habit was quite tough. Especially because breakfast was always my cue to start my workday. Now after a while I noticed that I just needed a mindset shift. The only thing is, is that my mindset shift came along with drinking more coffee in the morning. Like three more cups of coffee in the morning than usual. I don't really think that really helps me in striving for a healthier lifestyle though. What I also noticed during my eating window is that I turned into this eating monster. There is no better word to describe this though. My mind told me, okay Jules, you have eight hours, go. And I would just eat like crazy during the first days of my intermittent fasting. After a while I just tried to make smaller lunges than normal to compensate for all the eating I would do afterwards. But I got so obsessed with the time periods that I kind of continued eating a lot. I felt like sometimes I was not eating because I was hungry, but because I knew I had to survive another 16 hours of fasting. The third thing that struck me the most was that after breakfast I would normally feel quite full and not hungry for the coming 3-4 to four hours. But with intermittent fasting I ate breakfast at let's say 11 or 12 and then one hour later I caught myself eating again. That was quite interesting. The evenings were quite okay for me. I stopped eating around 7 or 8pm and then instead of eating my usual piece of chocolate, <laughs> yes I'm a lady, I would just drink tea instead which allowed me to feel less full when going to bed at night, which is actually the one thing I really enjoyed the most during this whole journey. In the last week of my experiment, I didn't really feel that anything spectacular changed in my life. I didn't lose any weight, I didn't feel like I was more focused, and don't even mention anti-aging. So, one day I thought, why not go all in and try the 24-hour fasting? To my surprise, I actually managed to do it. And I have to say that this was the best decision ever. I felt so accomplished after doing it. I still had all the energy to get through my day. And after 24 hours of fasting period, I didn't really feel like I was eating like an animal. I also felt more focused and felt really good in my body. Looking back, I think the 16-8 fasting didn't really work for me since I already eat quite healthy and I don't feel a huge difference. However, because I was really surprised with the results I got from the 24 hours fasting, I would love to try it again next month to see if I will continue doing this or not. To conclude, I would like to share with you my three biggest takeaways of my personal journey. 1. 
You can't rely on research or reviews when it comes to intermittent fasting. Everybody is different and for some people intermittent fasting will work and for some it won't. So I really really encourage you to just try it out for a period of time and see if it works for you. 2. Find yourself some healthy food upfront before you break your fast. It is very tempting to start eating fast food instead, that's why it's super super important to prep your meal ahead. 3. During your eating window try to be conscious as well of how much you eat. Don't overeat yourself, it's super important to listen to your body. Let's zoom out, eat slow and be conscious about our eating habits. So that's it guys, let me know if you ever tried intermittent fasting or if you would like to try it. I would love to hear how you maintain a healthy eating habit yourself. Go to our Instagram account at nevernotlearning and share your experience with me. Ask me questions or anything about this topic or let me know if there's something really cool out there I should try as well next time. Kira's Jules, out!